Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You listen to KHS 1220 98.1 FM. You're watching or listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You are watching it if you're on Facebook Live, YouTube, or some other variable that you have to watch Ask Brian. The Ask Brian Radio Show is a business show. We're on weekly, every Thursday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, we are available on podcasts. YouTube and Facebook Live. Podcast will be a little bit later. So those of you who have not listened to the S. Brian Radio Show, we want to go over a couple of things. We're on KHCS. KHCS is like no other station in the world. Is that right, Pat? Yes, it is. Why is it like no other station? Because we are a cut above the rest. Uh, <laughs> are you cut above CBS? <laughs> um, you know, sure. Sure. I'll say yes. <laughs> I'll say yes, please don't find me. Do you have an attorney? <laughs> You're my attorney. Who? You. That's an owl. Oh. Said who? Um, <laughs> okay, okay. So anyway, our radio show is on it weekly. For those of you who never listened to it, we like to give a little background on how we came up with the name Ask Brian. Because a lot of people say, why is the show Ask Brian? I mean, my name is Peter. Why would you call your show? Why not Ask Peter? Well, when you try to get a domain name for Ask Peter, it's unavailable. And almost every other name was unavailable. We had choices of Ask Milt, <laughs> Ask Hall. I didn't even know that was a name. and uh, Or Ask Brian with an E. And so we came up with Ask Brian. But people always ask, why with the E? And the engineer that has an E in it, an excellent... <sighs> And empathy are all words that we know. One, but two, Patrick, Patrick's going to come up with the others. Yes. Well, you took away three of them, so now I have to fill in the rest. You took away engineer, empathy, and excellence. So the other ones we have are experience because everybody here is experienced in their field. How many years experience do you have? I have uh, about a good few, like three weeks? or four. Weeks? What? No, years under my belt. So far, so good. What kind of belt is that? It's an engineer belt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we also have effort because everybody here gives 110% of their effort in what they do. Well, everybody asks me each, each week, how can you have more than 100%? Because you break your limits. Well, uh, how can you break your limits? I mean, for instance, <laughs> if, you're, if you can go no faster than 20 miles an hour, Uh-oh. how can you go 21? I don't know. Sometimes just the impossible is possible sometimes. Other ones we have are experts, as in the people, you know, that we all talk to on here uh, are all experts in, in a field of what they do. And, well, there's two that are pretty synonymous with each other. The first one is enthusiasm. and Excitement. Yeah? I'm sorry, but did you even understand what he was saying? Excitement. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, when you're very excited and you're enthusiastic, you're just jumping for joy. Well, okay. I would like to welcome to our show today Tracy Holland, who is a powerhouse in herself. She is the founder of Hatch Beauty Brand and has launched an amazing community of powerhouse women called Potential to Powerhouse. She may or may not have a fantastic podcast produced by Producer Podcast, I'm just saying, and is hosting an amazing summit next week, all about Potential to Powerhouse. Welcome, Tracy. 
Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. It's all perfectly aligned. It, it's, it's so aligned that it's almost like an eclipse. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say I've taken full accountability because part of being a powerhouse is to accept accountability and responsibility if you make a mistake. And I have already admitted that I made a mistake by getting the numbers transposed when I sent the Dallas numbers there. I've only been responsible for one guest the entire time I've been a co-host on this show, and I messed it up. So you get your job back, Brian. Well, you're batting a thousand. <laughs> you're batting a thousand. <laughs> um, okay, so, so uh, Tracy, you welcome. Why, why, yeah, let's get into the show. And my first question we want to know is: before you started this company, Tracy, what was your background before you got into the into the business you're currently in? I'm a serial entrepreneur, and much to my parents' dismay, both of them are PhDs. They both have solid, responsible jobs with 401ks and retirement plans and all that good stuff. And going to college, I invented scented nail polish with a friend. I used my uh, student loans at Columbia to underwrite my patent and started building a business built out the company while I was going to grad school and built out distribution with JCPenney and Spencer's Gift and lots of fabulous retailers got to know what it meant to do business at retail. What year did you graduate? I graduated grad school. Are you trying to put an age on me? No, but my... <laughs> no. That was not very sneaky. I, I, had, hold very on. Sneaky. I asked that question because my niece graduated Bernard, which is part of Columbia, and yes, she, it is. She, she graduated in, let's see, uh, in 2004. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit older. I graduated in 97. Okay, only seven years. Not, not a big deal. Yeah. And so you were in school and you decided to come up with a nail polish? Uh, a scented nail polish, yeah. But that's one of, like, I sold pies when I was 12, had my sisters go door-to-door giving out samples and upselling to, you know, multiple pies. Like, I, it just has always been part of my DNA. Did the first ever aerosol-based silk, hydrolyzed silk spray-on hosiery that comes in a can. I found it in Japan. I got the distribution right, started importing to the U.S. So multiple really interesting products that I thought were interesting first to market, IP protected, brought surprise and delight to women. It was a joy of mine to see them kind of enjoy doing something, having something that they take every day and use and have it be in a different sort of way um, that brought surprise and delight. And that has been my path toward Hatch Beauty Brands, which is a beauty brand incubator. We, in essence, co-create new beauty concepts and wellness concepts with influencers and retailers based on what the market is interested in as well as some of the trend data that we get and looking at consumer purchasing and trying to find ways to bring brands to life that surprise and delight as well. That's what I've been doing for for the last decade. What happened to the nail polish? Did that become part of your new company, or is that phased out and you went just into a different part of the beauty product industry? No, that actually, that company, I would consider it a fail, and I'll tell you why. A couple reasons. One, when I had the patent underwritten, I put it in my business partner's personal name, first and last name, not in the company name. Not good. Go ahead. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I already so, told her that you are a patent and trademark attorney, so, you know, go go easy. <laughs> that was yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, learning number one, my student loans, finance, underwriting of that, I just figured when they asked who was the inventor, 
she actually was the technical person in the lab working through the mixture and figuring out how to make it. So I very voluntarily put her name on the patent as IP holder. Never thought twice about it. And so someone came along to buy the IP and they gave her a nice big check and then they folded the business. Obviously, the inventory in the business was not of interest. What was was the IP, which was my first aha moment that no matter what I do for the rest of my life, owning the IP is the key to happiness. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, that, that's, you know, there was a movie with um, Pursuit of Happiness where, uh, in that case, the uh, most important thing was he had these scanners and he could fix them. So, but let's get back to uh, reality here. You had this IP product and you had it with the student loans. If you used the student loans to develop the product, how did you have the funds to pay for school? I was fortunate. I had parents who were divorced and they didn't speak to one another. <laughs> So they, 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 they satisfied you by giving you money. I got it. <laughs> so <laughs> that creates a very big opportunity for an entrepreneurial thinker. Where when I'm at dad's house and I'm sucking in my stomach and I'm saying how starving I am and that I only can afford ramen. You know, and then, <laughs> then I go to mom's house. Same story. And I suck in my cheeks. <laughs> And they both write checks, big checks, and no one asks the other one how much they're supporting. It was fine. It all worked out. All right. So after the company was sold, what did you do after that? Did you just start this new company that you have now, or was there some in No. I had a ton of debt because I was all of a sudden, she took the money and moved to a beautiful home in Tahoe. And and you didn't do anything I had, about that? I didn't because really at the time, the thing that I skimped on to be did when we first started the business is really smart uh, legal operating agreement, legal protection. I just, I felt like we had an understanding, a handshake. We had lots of like in the bunker kind of, you know, from day one work together. So I never really considered it. How close were you when you started with her? Because obviously she was your partner. You know, how well did you know her? Did you know her years? I, or? I knew her not like for not for years and years. I knew her for maybe a year ahead of that. And I had something that she didn't have and she had something I didn't have, which really was I loved selling things and I loved the aha moment and presenting to retail and just putting a business plan. I have good finance acumen, so how to finance inventory, factor purchase orders, and a great network of mentors who at that time were helping me figure out how to kind of go from lily pad A to lily pad B and to hop around and get something accomplished when you don't really have money for a startup the way you should, financing. But I did raise capital for that business, and so that gave me an opportunity to also interface with investors and understand what investor expectations were, which is super helpful for later in my career. But I went to go get a regular J-O-B, which Dad was thrilled because I was hired to be at the time a COO of a beauty brand that did spa kits for beauty and spa kits for girls. And I got to build that business and then moved to an opportunity with a larger business after that to run an organization that had manufacturing supply chain back end. So it gave me an exposure to quite a bit of what I would call later in my business operations with Hatch Beauty, operational excellence and speed to market in a way that I probably would never have learned working for a large CPG business. So everything always works out. For a reason. Yeah, well, I think Steve Jobs is the one who said you can never connect the dots except in hindsight. I guess that's true. 
But how did you start this new company? I started the new, you know, what I really wanted was children. At one point, I was so ambitious, but I thought, gosh, I'm 34, and I had a candid conversation with an OB who said, you know, you, you're not able to have children forever, so what's the plan since you're not married and you don't have a boyfriend? And I thought, oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> really, wow. that, that sounds like that sounds like Brian slash Peter was your OBGYN. That sounds he oh would be right. Yeah, really direct. <laughs> He's like, what's the plan? I said, well, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll all work out. And he said, you know, I see women like you who are really confident, who think that you run the world, and you come into this office and you say, yeah, I plan on having kids and you're 34 and all of a sudden you're 36 and you can't figure out why you can't get pregnant. And he said, let me tell you the math. So he shared with me some insights on fertility and 35 and what it means. And, you know, I, of course, assumed at 34, I was at 100% fertility, which all women, I think, would if they didn't have any understanding of what the stats say. But I guess he was more concerned because he said most women started about 50 to 60 percent and so every year after 35 you go down by 10 percent or 20 percent depending on where you are so that was an aha I thought hop to it I got to get this on the task list were you married at the time (laughs) no I was not married little little issue there but okay right I wasn't married (laughs) and I wasn't dating anyone which was like Wow, okay. Thank God so for Tinder. I, okay. No, I said it free Tinder. <laughs> this was, yeah, not even, Tinder, not even like I Facebook. Wish. <laughs> it is, I wish, exactly. This is like the yellow pages. It's like. <laughs> the, penny, the penny saver, what? <laughs> the penny I'll saver. Call my landline. Seriously, it's like. The Polaroid at the local coffee shop up on the board, the Kennedy board. So <laughs> I thought, okay, now what? So I kind of deep dived this issue with my best guy friend and said, what do I do? And he said, well, I think you're dating the wrong kind of guy. And I said, what? I don't think that's, what do you mean? And he said, well, you have all these type A guys. And I think you need a type B guy who's really going to let you store, do your career and be supportive of you having kids and having career and kind of straddling both. And as he was walking me through it, I thought, hmm, that's an interesting perspective. And I started talking to some of my friends who were also married to type A guys who were pretty much moving into type B lifestyles because they were trying to raise kids and taking a step back from their career. And the more he talked to me about it, the more I thought maybe he's onto something. So we ended up getting married. And he was a great friend, and we had three children together. And that really allowed me to keep really building my business career as well, which at that time, I had a vision for a Hatch Beauty brand kind of concept, which was in essence this nexus between it acts like an agency incubator alongside a retailer, but not internally, just adjacent to, and then adding to the mix at that time, which we only knew magazines and television, but, you know, high-profile celebrity, what I would call red carpet, Oscar, Grammy, Emmy-winning talent, and bringing the nexus of that together to offer some sort of a brand concept or incubator. And our first, and to have children. And so I was fortunate, you know, I, I love talking to women about this because we as women look at other women who have somehow built these massively successful 
careers and have had this great hockey trajectory, and then we happen to be married, and then we happen to be having kids. I mean, Sheryl Sandberg's a great example. I can probably list a whole long list. So how do you start a company when you've got, you know, you're raising kids, you've got a husband, you've got your own career, he's got his career. How do you start a business and find the time to do that? Yeah, it's hard. And you have to look, do some soul searching, right? Because people say, I want to start a business and be an entrepreneur because there's so much freedom. I want to be my own boss. And when? I always scratch <laughs> my head. I'm like, really? What do you mean? That's the opposite. I would say it's absolutely the opposite. When you have a job, you know that you have a workload, but you do clock out. You do get a paycheck every two weeks. You're not normally trying to figure out how to eat what you kill. So it's a different approach and a different, what I would call, sense of urgency. That free fall feeling when you fall asleep at night and you're thinking, okay, wait, what's in my pipeline? How am I doing this? What's happening tomorrow? How am I paying my employees? When does this happen? You know, I mean, and so kids... It's a very important eyeball-to-eyeball conversation to have with yourself in your 20s as early as possible to decide how to think big picture about mapping out your life. You can have it all, but it's not all the legs on the stool are ideally aligned, and so you need to know where you're willing to make a concession. And one last question before uh, Mrs. T comes on. What is the number one quality you think made you successful? The number one quality, um, tenacity. Okay. T and I, big little T, and I'm big T. She's little T. Um, (laughs) We and and I only say that because I'm only about five foot ten, and I think I haven't stood next to her yet, but I'm guessing maybe (laughs) five foot. But she yeah, fast four and a half. But she has ten inches. But four and a half. I love it. But, but ten, yeah, inch, so ten inch heels, but go ahead. That little T, Mace, I would love to hear your thoughts on that question. But, I mean, you know, I do think there are a bunch of qualities that it takes. But if I had to pick one, I would say being tenacious is the one thing that, as a kid, I was in trouble all the time for that. All the time. I'm at church, and they're saying, you can do this, you can do that. I'm like, why? 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 I don't understand. That doesn't make sense. Help me out. Tell me why. You know, and so, I I mean, it was from early days, you know, and so I think people are wired that way. Well, I'm going to turn it over to Mrs. Little T, and just to let you know, I I had a candy store when I was 12 out of the garage. So I know about the, the uh, pie business a little bit. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm, I feel compared to share that I started my first business when I was seven, and it was a it was called Jobs Incorporated, and I quickly noticed in my dad's office that all the all the well now they were called administrative assistants, but at the time they called secretaries and they sat behind their typewriters in his office. And so I would go and I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. So I'm gonna I would get all his folders and his while you're out notepads and all of the you know pens and everything. And then I would get my friends in the neighborhood to come and work for me. And that was called Jobs Incorporated, and we were finding jobs for other people. And Ooh, also, <laughs> it's a good and so one. I don't know. I don't know exactly when the first temp agency was invented, but I think if I'd had a good IP attorney, I probably could have patented Job Inc. and you know would have been off to the races. But well, you should have taken the so domain. Yeah, but go ahead. 
Yeah, well, at this point in time, we were using pink while you were out notepads. Not sure there were. Not sure there was an internet. But no, I, I think it is something that's in your spirit. And I love that you shared that about it being part of your story, Tracy. And I also really love that you're so open and vulnerable about sharing around fertility because I'm actually the person who didn't listen to that advice. And I thought that it was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And yeah, I wasn't able to pull that one out in the ninth inning. So yeah. I have I have, have often thought about writing a book called Freeze Your Eggs and Other Advice I Didn't Take. Because I just think it's an important thing. If you want to have it all, you can have it all. But you also have to be really insightful and educated on what does that mean? And, and what does that mean in terms of consequences, sacrifices, and so I really appreciate that you are willing to share that story. I think it's important for people to know that. Um, yeah, and so in terms of, of entrepreneurship itself, I think, to your point, tenacity, I think showing up, following up, and follow through, that's always, I feel like, you know, a lot of people don't show up, and a lot of people who show up don't follow up, and a lot of people who follow up don't follow through, and if you can do those three things, you're so way ahead of the game. So we had a thousand percent, a thousand percent, and and you have done that, you know, all through your life. It sounds like, and now you're really, really starting to show up for women entrepreneurs who have come before you, come after you, and will continue to come after you and build their own legacy. So I'd love for you to share your vision behind potential to powerhouse and what was the pivot for you and your because I mean you're tremendously successful you didn't have to start another business you didn't have to give back in this way but you did and and I have a close-up view of, of how hard you work on this project and so it's not just the project it's a passion project it means a lot to you I'd love to share your pivot and how you got there yeah sure I you know I think there was a combination of a couple things one you know, when our business took off at the extent and the level that it did, we generated over $500 million in revenue in the first six years with no bank and no, you know, we had a bank ABL line, but no investor. And, you know, the first year we did $2 million, and then second year $10 million, and then 15 and then 45 and then almost 100 and it went up from there very rapidly. And I think what I realized by year seven which was a few years ago, maybe now three or four years ago, so we're in our 11th year, I hit a wall that said, wait a second, I'm supposed to be really excited and I'm supposed to be successful and I'm supposed to feel fulfilled and I'm supposed to have joy. And I'm not, I'm feeling none of that. I feel panicky, anxious, sleepless, unfulfilled. And there was this realization that I had traded all of these joy moments, peace moments, ease moments for what I thought was going to be on the other side of the next place to be in terms of success. And I couldn't get there fast enough and I couldn't figure out how to fix that feeling. And so I started to dig deep in myself to find out what to do about the fact that I didn't feel that way. So I started seeking mentors and support. So yeah, I think that Potential to Powerhouse started as a personal conversation with other women behind closed doors, so to speak, to ask them if they were doing and having and feeling the same way. And what I found was that more often than not, what was on the exterior that all of us saw, the, the glamour, the entrepreneur of the year, the 
you know, the, the success metrics that all of us were seeing and holding ourselves to because we were seeing our mentors who looked like they were making all of this look easy, I thought, man, I think it's time to start having a conversation with my peers about what's really, what it really takes so we can have some grace around this process and allow for women coming up behind us to realize that there is an actually an open vulnerability to having success and some of it is all fabulous and great and I love and embrace that and there are other aspects of it that are trade-offs and that, that can be challenging and painful and feel lonely and there should be a conversation around that so people can have openness around it. And that's really the beginning of the podcast, which was how did you get from potential to your powerhouse self? But the candidness around, you know, Sally Krawcheck saying, you know, I became the man of the household, so to speak, because at 19, my brother, he was an opioid addict, and I realized I had to step into being the kind of breadwinner success of the household for my father and ends up on, you know, CEO of Smith Barney, of Citibank, of you know, multiple big institutional banks and gets fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice as being an outspoken female in the money business on Wall Street and what it means to be in that that world and what she's had to do to be there. And that's the joy for me has been the opportunity to share so openly with these incredible women, their success stories, but also our guest this week is one of the most prominent chief science officers in the world around the happiness and yet was 19, 19 years of age diagnosed with bipolar disorder and yet also is a mother and is an entrepreneur and is a founder of a company that's valued at over a billion dollars called Happify. So we have these interesting stories out there of these unicorn women who I think for the first time get some space to say, yeah, I was CEO of Playboy for 21 years, but here's also what I had to learn about it within myself to know if I could be who I am in that. It's so much what I'm hearing through this thread of what you're saying, too, in terms of traits of entrepreneurship and, and what leads to the entrepreneurial success is asking for help and being able to receive it. And I think that one of the things I really admire about you as a leader, not only within your own business, but also in Potential Powerhouse, is your ability to seek out the best ad- advice, the best experts, the best consultants. Um, you even have an amazing board with uh, board with Patch Beauty, right? Like you have some really powerhouse women on your board. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's been amazing how I have Ken Mur- Murphy, who's the CEO of Tesco, uh, on my board. He was the president of Walgreens for many, many years, and he's a mentor of mine. I love men. I don't want it to ever be misconstrued because Potential to Powerhouse, I, I say it's for women on the rise and especially for entrepreneurial women on the rise, but for very smart men as well. And if you're not very smart, then no, you cannot come. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, Brian. Sorry. Oh. I, Patty. Patty, I, I guess a 152 IQ isn't high enough. Go ahead. <laughs> I just want to make sure, Patty. You know you're invited, though. Thank you. Yeah. Somebody has to pick up the, uh, you know, pick up after somebody else, right, Patrick? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> That's right. She's gonna drop the napkin on the floor. You'll be picking that up. 
I do think that is include inclusivity is important in all ways as well. And so before the break, we were highlighting how you had such exponential growth without investor capital, and then you went and started having conversations with investors, and that's been a successful path for you since then. Can you share some insights on that? Yeah. So here's the thing that everyone who has taken money knows, and those who have thought about it but haven't yet are asking. So it's super important to be clear. <laughs> For those who are about to take it, what to know. And I, I wish I had had someone just be so candid with me because the one thing that money people like to do is invest in opportunities that will bring a drive of nice, significant ROI, right? So they're going to be really fun and they're going to wine and dine you and they're going to say, hey, we're great operating partners, and yes, we have money, but we're also well-networked, and we're going to jump in with you, and we're all in this together. I love that. We're all in this together until you have a COVID situation or until, you know, your biggest client pivots and you have to make up the difference. As entrepreneurs, we're used to pivoting. We're kind of born and built that way. So it doesn't take us long to figure out, like, what's the plan B or plan C, for people who have a money plan and they are looking at a monthly return, the second things don't become predictable, it becomes a challenging situation and can be. So it's super important to have candid conversations with your money folks about what happens when things do pivot or when uncertain circumstances take place. If you need more capital, what does it cost? How does it get put in? What does it mean for your equity? What does it mean for your payback? The last thing you want to do is be taking capital in the time of need. And they always say banks love to give umbrellas when it's sunny out. That's 100% true on investors too. So I think that the thing I appreciate about bringing in private equity, and I'm still a 51% owner in the business, but I do not have board control. So that's another big part of a conversation. I think that's its own topic. When you give up board control, you basically sell, sold your company. And what you're hoping is that the people that are in charge of it are going to do a good job and bring it to fruition. The good news is everyone has the same eye on the prize, which is creating the most shareholder value possible generally. But how you get there can look very different. And from an entrepreneur's perspective, getting there feels like a very comfortable one way because I've done it this way successfully over and over and I still want to do it this way. And investor growth, and the belt, what I call belt and suspenders that investors want to put into a business in order to ensure their investment return can feel quite uncomfortable to an entrepreneur. And so you have to be really prepared for what kind of money and having that tough conversation, just like you would with a spouse that you're going to marry. Like what happens if I stay out all night with my girlfriends and I don't come home and call you? Like what happens? You know, I mean, maybe, <laughs> right? Like, you want to know, like, we're, how bad does it get? It, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, how bad <laughs> does it get? How does how bad does anything get? Like COVID, I promise you, I had a pre-COVID forecast, and when I came back on Feb twentieth from Oman, I heard some rumblings of hot spots in two areas of the country or two areas of the world, and of course, the nice thing about having private equity investors is they have unlimited networked resources, so they put the head of infectious disease on from Yale Medical to give us advice as the portfolio company is what this COVID thing could potentially mean to our business and what the impact could be, and I'm promising you this gentleman 
as strongly as he felt at that time and as good of a job as I think he thought he was doing, he couldn't have predicted that we were about to have a global pandemic and what that meant for our business. And so, you know, these folks who come with the money are generally incredibly great people. They're awesome human beings. I would fly around the world with my investors and sit and have the best conversation. But they have fiduciary responsibility to LP, like the Fireman's Fund and the Teacher's Fund and the folks that they take money and then they turn around and invest it. And they're squeezed in the middle and their returns are only insured if they carry forward you know, a sizable return. I'm sorry to interrupt, and, but we've only got 20 yeah. seconds, and I know you've got a great program coming up, so can you give us the yeah. website address and that information? Well, people can learn yes, all about that. this juicy stuff at the summit next week, next Wednesday and Thursday. What's the website Potent- address? Potentialtopowerhouse.com forward slash summit. Well, thank you very much. You're listening to KHS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.